following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it's Tuesday. Time to recap a little ETSU football. May talk a little soccer as well. But ETSU off, uh, not off and running as we thought we would see. Although, I'll be honest, I've gone back, I've watched some of the game. You look at the first half, because I just jump right into things here because I've got a lot of things in my mind today. You look yeah. at the first half, ETSU able to move the football. Able to make some plays, didn't quite finish drives, and defensively, a couple penalties that kept drives alive. Uh, one I wasn't a fan of, the other one, eh, eh. but either way, short fields, a couple penalties, led to basically six touchdowns. And you sit there and you hold a FBS team to 364 yards. I feel like that's pretty solid considering the number of freshmen, redshirt freshmen that were having to kind of be thrust into duty and a lot of question marks. I thought I learned a lot about Jalen George, like a lot about Mike Jenkins. I thought Ray Coney in the few snaps he got was really good on as far as the young guys. I thought the front line did not really get mauled. Um, they were just out there for a lot of plays, especially in the second half. Yeah, and that was a worry is that you got a young guy out there in George, and he's going to be the weak link in the chain against a pretty big and fairly experienced JSU offensive line. And I didn't think he was that way at all. I, I thought he held his own. And, and like you said, I thought the defense, the ones on defense looked pretty good. A couple of the twos on defense looked pretty good. They were just out there a ton, and the tempo kind of did its thing. The longer they were out there, JSU had a couple of really long, sustained drives where they ran – I think like eight, nine plays, ten plays, and um, it was ultimately obviously a very disappointing uh, situation for ETSU to be in, but I thought the Bucks defense really battled. Uh, offensively, I don't know we're going to get to it, I thought the wide receivers looked really good. Uh, Gallardetz is a player. Like, holy smokes. He, is, he was really good. Um, the uh, Huzzy was just bracketed. I mean, he was swarmed. They were not going to let Will Huzzy beat them. Uh, I thought Carter looked fine. Um, the uh, the running backs, it was tough to gauge because of what I kind of want to get to is the area where I think ETSU needs to improve the most and will improve the most from week one to week two, which is typically the case for a lot of teams going game one to game two. It's the physical element of the game that needs fine-tuning, especially now when there's a very limited number of full pads practices that you can do in preseason where they've throttled that back where you have to do a ton of stuff in helmets and, and some things in shells. You don't have as much full pad time as you used to. You can't do two-a-days anymore. You know, you need time and game time and live game reps to really dial in the physical elements of the game. And blocking and tackling are the big ones. Uh, tackling ETSU did okay. Offensive line, it seemed like 80%, on any given play, 80% of the line was good. But there was one breakdown. You could just about point to one breakdown on every single play, 
And if ETSU wants to have a chance and wants to compete against a team like Jacksonville State, that just can't happen. So that is the group that looked the most, to me, I would say out of sync. And it's the group that was probably going to look the most out of sync, given the lack of experience relatively. Luke Smith's played some FBS football. Braxton Ship has played for ETSU in the past few years. But uh, I would not look at that group and say, well, they're going to just, you know, wreck people right out of the gate. There was going to be some growing pains there. And those growing pains really stalled out the offense because ETSU couldn't reliably run the football. And once they couldn't do that and they were made one-dimensional, JSU could pin their ears back and come after Rydell. And that forced him into situations where he had to scramble and improvise to make plays. And one of those scrambles is where he landed on his shoulder and had to come out of the game. And now we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, I think the offensive line is the area that needs to improve the most. I think the offensive line is the area that will improve the most. And honestly, I thought some of the other pieces on the offense looked really good. Rydell looked great before he got hurt. And uh, the receivers looked really good. I thought the tight ends looked fine. And we'll know more about the running backs once the offensive line gets, gets rolling in 2023. Yeah, it's not all on the offensive line. There were several pass protection breakdowns from running backs. There were. There I think Trey Foster missed a really bad one early. But, yeah, there were there were a couple of those. But I, I don't even think of pass pro. I just think of running the ball. You look at Bryson Irby, average less than three yards a carry. Um, Borish, the game was already over by the time Zach Borish got touches. But 2.8 yards per carry still. I, I was just really surprised that a team – that had committed philosophically to running the football more just was not effective at running the football. And that impedes the ability of the offense to compete, to stay on the field, to sustain drives, and that puts the defense in bad situations. It puts the quarterback in vulnerable situations. And when you can't do that, I mean, that, that really starts with, you know, getting, the, getting everybody gelled together up front, getting your five guys together up front and letting them start rolling. And once you have live tape, you have live reps against another team, that's when you really are able to clean things up. So I think this group's going to get better, um, and and, and they're going to need to get better if ETSU wants to do what it wants to do in, in 2023. But it was good to have your eyes opened to that immediately rather than get to like Sanford and be like, "Uh uh-oh, we haven't done enough to prepare our offensive line. So zero players on the offensive line have played a snap together. Went back and looked that up. So Mm -hmm. Braxton Ship and Everhart both played last year. Neither played at the same time. At the same time, right. Right. And then Flores and Flowers played some special teams, especially uh, Flores, but none of them played with Everhart or Chip on the field at the same time. So, to me, that's part of it, too, just kind of talking um, in the hotel lobby with a few of the coaches and going back and forth. There, there was a concern of, you know, if the defensive line had not played together, that's okay, right? You can pin your ears back and go. There's a lot of communication, a lot of yes. kind of knowing what the other guy's going to do that I think the line's going to take a little bit, and I think – if there's any group to be patient with it. And unfortunately, they're the ones you're going to see if they do miss an assignment. Right. You, you only right? know their names if they if they make a mistake. Yeah. Right. It's either a penalty or they miss an assignment. So uh, 
that's going to be, I think, a little bit of, of what you're going to have to see. Now, uh, you can say, well, you know, they played FBS, and what if they go out and they maul Carson Newman when they're not even Division One? So there still may be a little bit of we don't know what you get because if they road grade Carson Newman, it would be easy to say, well, they figured it out. But I don't know that that means they figured it out, right? It, it'll be Austin P before I think you really know. Now, you can say if the offensive line is still giving up free runners, rather in the run game or the pass game, yes. then yes, it's easy to say, well, okay, we still know there's some big issues. The problem is I just don't know if they handle business against Carson Newman, if that means things are solved. And I, I do agree, uh, just watching some other teams that have played week zero and week one, it seemed like a lot of other teams were a lot more just kind of in sync, had some things together, because ETSU got a little bit field position to death, and some was their own fault. They didn't feel punt, it rolled an extra 15 yards. They had a couple of special teams penalties that backed them up, would have been around the 25 to the 30. It ended up being like the 10 or 12. So there were some things there at field position that kind of took away a few things they were going to do. But the creativity, I thought, from Coach Coles offensively uh, was there and, and had some wrinkles where, you know, they had guys running open. Um, and Rydell was very much in sync early on and kind of reading. I think the only read maybe he missed was the ball he threw in the back of the end zone to Will Huzzy. I think Noah Wesley threw in jumping jacks by a pylon by himself. <laughs> um, I've gone back and watched that. Uh, and, and it's one of those things like set the goal line, jump ball to Will Huzzy. It's pretty much a, a, in a vacuum. That's not a that's not a bad decision. Uh, but not, you know, in the context of your tight end is sitting there, you know, six yards under him, open at the goal line. Yeah, it, there's some things there. And again, it, it's easy. I, I had I didn't catch it at first. Uh, Mark Utzel did because like a lot of quarterbacks, which I do enjoy, they kind of read the field and progress and like, okay, he's back. Yeah. You know, same thing. That, you know, whether it's it's Utzel Wilson or you watch, you know, uh, any of the other broadcasts uh, nationally, whether it's quarterbacks, they generally it's amazing to me how very quick on the fly they can go, ooh, this or that, and then you go back and look. Now, again, they've got a bird's eye view of what's going on, you know. Yep. Uh, and the other thing is it's hard not to, around the end zone, target your biggest wide receiver in Will Huzzy. So um, there, there were a lot of things. I, I thought creativity was there. They had guys open. Gallard, that's uh, unbelievable. The one-handed catch at the hash right. marks or whatever, the numbers or whatever it was, like over the middle of the field, that was just ridiculous. And Rydell got hammered on that one because yes, that was did. a free runner. So the fact that he stood in there to take the shot and then Gallard was able to, to haul it in, um, you know, we saw some of the triple option stuff that, that kind of worked. I mean, one of the longest games to that point was a triple option pitch play to Bryson Irby. So you saw a little bit of that. The read option from Rydell was able to get a first down, and he was one one tackler away from that being a massive game. So I, I thought overall, especially the first half, I thought the offense 164 yards where they struggled, and this was a concern really since football's been back, other than one year, third downs. One for seven in the first half, 0 for four in the second half, one for 11 overall. That's 9%. I can do that math for you quickly. It's 9%. That's still an issue that ETSU's got to figure out. Now, they got seven chunk plays. I also chart the chunk plays, right? So they had seven chunk plays, and a majority of those did come on first down, which I like to see for the simple reason of, again, that means there's some creativity. You're able to open some things up. So um, getting the big first down plays. So if you look at the yards per first down, that's going to be skewed a little bit because of those plays. 
but they were still stuck in a lot of third and longs, third you know, zip codes on a couple of them because of some penalties. Um, I think it was a Juwan Martin right block in the back that, that really kind of Yeah, that one drive. was, yeah. So, I, again, there was enough plays you could uh, go around uh, to everybody and go, you know, you got to do this better, you got to do that, that. A couple unfortunate turnovers. Baron Mays trying to make a play. Unbelievable individual effort to break, you know, a couple uh, different opportunities to get sacked. Ends up coughing up. Then there's the right L throws high. Normally, Huzzy makes that catch. He probably gets throws high. And Dodger School, Huzzy probably makes the catch. That didn't help. ETSU gets a delay game penalty trying to run out the field goal unit. They were going to kick into the wind, and I get that. But still, you know, a chance at that point would have made it 21-6, to which technically would have been a two-score game. And I thought that was a, a big opportunity missed. Maybe we would have made it 14-6. Either way, it was an opportunity to get points on the board. Uh, we were not able to do so. So I, I thought, again, I mean, you look at the first half numbers, and Jackson State 210 yards to 164. I mean, you're, I mean you said she's kind of – Kind of right there on pace for a 300-yard day uh, on what they were doing. Right, L10 to 17 passing again fairly well, but seven first-half penalties, seven for 57, and there wasn't a, a, a one, there's maybe one false start, but other than that, they were all big ones that either kept drives alive or yep. cost the team starting field position. Yep. Uh, so the Hoskins um, roughing the passer. And like you can you can bemoan that, but that is the rule. It is the rule. Don't don't bemoan the flag. Don't bemoan the official throwing. It's like, oh, that's a terrible call. It's it's that's that's the rule. I, I, I bemoan the fact that as he was hitting him, the ball was still in the hand. So it's one thing if the ball's left the hand, you hit and drive. It's another thing if the guy doesn't know he's still letting the ball go, because that rule's put in place to protect the thrower after the ball's thrown. So it's a bang bang. And I, I get that. But just looking at that several times, that was the one I kind of went with. I just don't know. And I feel sorry for defensive guys. I, I mean, I've talked to, uh, you know, Mike Price, Tyree Robinson about some of the where, like, hey, we're going to hit somebody. They lower the head or the runner does this. I mean, we're, we're still kind of punished for it. That was the only one I was – I just – it was tough. It was tough. I'm not arguing the ruling. I just thought it was tough for Hoskins to know if he's gotten rid of the ball or not. And I would use the same example of, you know, Jacksonville State kind of had Baron May in the grasp a couple times and thought the referee's going to blow the whistle because they're trying to go with, I don't want to get a penalty. And then Baron May ends up breaking tackles and gets by. And so the, it's a it's an odd situation to be with uh, uh, the defender. Now, the second penalty kept the drive alive. I thought that was, that was, that was pretty cut and dry. And to be honest, I thought ETSU got away with a, a non-personal foul call I think which defensive back it was. Maybe it was Henderson where he threw the guy into the kicking net way out of bounds, and that did not get flagged. So uh, it wasn't all just, uh, hey, we're picking on ETSU here. I, I felt like there was – it happened right in front of Robert Harper too, and I said, well, that's going to be a flag. And Robert goes, that's got to be a flag. And then it wasn't a flag, and we're like, hey, what flag? So you got to know. But, I, yeah. again, again, they're still – they kept drives alive. That was the big thing was they just kept – and uh, that was the only three plays really Zion Webb got in, who was projected to be the starter – Immediately after that penalty, they're like, all right, Smothers, Smothers you're, you're Smothers back out looked, there. Smothers looked all right. He looked all right. I, I think there is probably a little bit of competition there. I don't know how long that competition will last, but I certainly don't think Smothers did did anything that you would look at and say, oh, he's not the guy. I'm not sure there's competition after the three plays Webb ran. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Compared to That's fair. Webb, Webb did look pretty bad against UTEP. He, looked, he did not look good against UTEP. 
also not 6'2", 200 pounds. I saw that on the 2 deep on Monday, and I just I cackled. That dude is 5'11". He's 5'11". Come on. Might be 6'2 in his granddad's platform shoes from 1978. Okay. Well, I agree. After seeing him yeah. live as well, I do not believe him. You, you just saw him on tape or on, on uh, watching it live. But I, yes, yeah, but I've watched Zion Webb for years because I've been watching FCS football. So, uh, yeah. I um, Seven years to be exact. Yeah, since 2016. Since it's, it's oh, really? Since 2015 because I came out here for a game against uh, when, when ETSU was playing at uh, Kermit Tipton. So I've been watching FCS football since at least 2015. And there you go. Anyway, um, I, I'm kind of ready to move on from this thing and start talking about what's next. And that's Carson Newman. Um, and we, we'll, we'll get to that, though, I guess, a little bit later because we also want to talk about the other SOCON teams and how they fared. And I also have a pick six recap if you, uh, if you so like and you will like. Best games of the week. Or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. Nerd! It's the pick six. Recap. Did you up all by yourself? Pick six in review. All right, I'm gonna pull up. I can fl- tell you what I didn't win, I, and I don't, I don't, I don't remember hardly anything we did. But I remember uh, putting some absurd attendance number on the board. That, that I, I did as well because I was like, "Did you think forty thousand? Because Target Field was such a huge hit in 2019. North Coast State drew twenty-two thousand at U.S. Bank Stadium for Eastern Washington." Apparently, that's really cap at. Because wasn't that also uh, 22,000 in this one? Uh, no, that's the game I'm talking about. They talked about it. It's 22,000. Was the, that was the target field game. Or not the target field game, the U.S. Bank Stadium game. We said target field. That's, how many Sorry, did they have a target field? Target field had about 34,5, I think okay. it was. So, um, I'll look at the official number. But e- Either way. Yeah, it was a lot lower than, but apparently there were people in the Fargo media space that were worried that this game might only draw like 15,000. So I guess that is an exceeding of expectations. Well, you had more than what you would have put in the Fargo Dome. So to me, that is that, true. that's better. Yes. I, I mean, if you want to look at things relative, if you can not put 22,000 in there and you got 22,000 in a bigger place, to me that's that's a win. Because they didn't do 40,000 that me and you were predicting or 45 for me. Like, I don't feel like that's a slight on um, North Dakota State or or any team. Take North Dakota State out of any team that goes to play in a venue like that um, and are able to get more than what your place holds. To me, that's a win, even if you didn't pack out said new building. Target field uh, on 831-19 against Butler was 34-544. So yeah, that's a solid. That's solid. A, yeah, no, it was it was a great atmosphere too. It was unbelievable. We were in the baseball press box, which was behind one of the end zones. That was really cool. And, and they play, they didn't play an FCS opponent that day, did they? They they played Butler. Okay, okay, so they played an opponent. They yeah. they beat Butler fifty-seven to ten. Yeah. The uh, the college debut uh, or the starting debut of Trey Lance. Uh, all right, so at the fifty-yard line, we had Maine and FIU. FIU won that game fourteen to twelve. You picked FIU, and I picked Maine. Uh, 40-yard line, we had Incarnate Word and UTEP. We both picked the Birds, and the Birds um, floundered a little bit in the second half. Yeah, I should have went with the stat that I gave you that UTEP the last, like, four years at home has been ridiculous. 28-14, UTEP won that game, so both pick up a loss there. Chattanooga at North Alabama. I 
can't believe I didn't go North Alabama and just out of spite. I thought you were going to. I and should you, have. You would have, really, you would have really had a huge lead if you had done that. Uh, North Coast State, Eastern Washington, we both uh, whiffed on that, on attendance numbers, but I mean, obviously we all knew North Coast State didn't win the game. Uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, I doubled back after initially picking South Carolina. I was like, wait, solidarity, can't pick the Gamecocks. Cheater. That worked out. We both picked UNC. Cheater. Uh, Northern Iowa and Iowa State, I picked UNI, you picked ISU. Uh, I was very disappointed uh, in the effort that Northern Iowa put out there. And for the extra point, you did not get Miami of Ohio over Miami, Florida. But I, remember, you, 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 you decided that you needed to make sport of me not having an extra point ready and raring to go. And at the very end of the show, I picked Florida A&M over Jackson State. Cheater. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? You cheated. I got a dub. Can I just say how confident I was in Miami, Ohio, and I think they got obliterated. They did. It was like 38-3 <laughs> really or something. I, I stopped checking. So I, I should know the final score, but after a while, I was like, oh, this is so bad. And, and I realize it doesn't cost me, in quotes, when I lose, but it was so bad that I feel like I should lose one. Florida A&M went up 21 rip in the first quarter and beat Jackson State 28-10. So, after week one, I am 2-5, and five, and you are 2-4. and four. A half-game lead for Santa Claus. That's the way I like it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no. Uh, others so kind, um, because it was... You want, you, want to do the, you want to do the bumper? Do you want to do the bumper? I can. Do the bumper. You love the bumper. I just, I don't want to deny you the things you love. The Patriots are going to do enough of that at this point. Now, I, w- I, will, I, I will say, because well, I technically, technically it was three in week one, but it was only one on Saturday. Oh, true, because Sanford beat Shorter and Furman knocked off uh, Tennessee Tech. So, yes, in, in full week one, Saturday was a bit rough, but again, there were a lot of um, FBS games. So, I mean, yes. it's kind of hard to, to throw shade there. I mean, the one team, I guess, I mean, was it just one? I think it was just one on Saturday. VMI played. VMI played, played Pioneer. Yeah, on chat, North Alabama. So yeah, there were Chattanooga. two. There were two games that the SoCon uh, probably favored in both of them. And yes. VMI had the rare like 400 plus yards of offense, and somehow only managed a, a touchdown late in the game to survive Davidson 12-7. I yeah, they scored with 51 seconds to go to win that game. And uh, they went for two, I believe, and did not get it. Um, that is, that was a hideous football game. But Danny Rocco has a win to start his tenure. And if, if, if that's all it takes, and sometimes that is, that's all it takes to get guys to buy in, hey, we can do this. We could go to Bucknell, and we beat we beat Bucknell last. Bucknell was the one win that VMI had last year. They go on the road to Bucknell. Not going to be easy. I think the I think the uh, the Bison are better this year. But again, a 
game that you've won in the past. VMI goes out and starts 2-0, and and they're not, they might not win another game this year, but I tell you, like that's that's something you can build on, and that's all Danny Rocco's looking for. He's looking for something to build on, something to build a culture behind. They, they've got that opportunity now because they were able to grind out an ugly win against Davidson week one. Speaking of ugly, did you see uh, Tennessee Tech and Furman, and is there anything more ugly than two purple teams with a smattering of some gold out there, like just... Am I was disappointed that Furman didn't break out the chrome helmets for the home opener. Oh, they did break out a couple INTs for a touchdown. They did that. Two pick sixes, one on the first drive of the game. Blackshear looked good. Uh, DiMaggio still hits like a ton of bricks. Um, the, that, that defense looked pretty good. Tech's offense gift-wrapped him a couple things, but again... It's about the ability to capitalize on your opponent's mistakes, not just that your opponent makes mistakes. What do you do with the opportunity that's given to you? Furman's offense was a little herky-jerky in the first half. They started to get it together, and they they put their foot on the gas in the third quarter and got better. Um, I think that's a result that they can definitely build on. Two defensive touchdowns will cover up a lot of herky-jerky from your offense. Yeah, Huff was a little hit or miss from the, the, the action I saw, and uh, probably, you know. Yeah, I think he threw an interception early. Uh, he, he did, and then, um, and honestly, I think he had like three or four straight incompletions after that. And yeah. it, it, then he got kind of going. He finished 16 and 29. Um, but, and then, of course, the, the run game was another one of those that was kind of a slow burn for Furman. Um, just under 400 yards of total offense. Um, very, you know, when they got drives going, you know, they did finish them. And, of course, obviously we talked about the defense forcing, I think it's four four interceptions, uh, two of them. Yeah, Tennessee, sixes, Tennessee yeah. Tech has a big hole at quarterback. They have a hole at QB. And, honestly, I didn't think the rest of the team was just awful. Uh, they could very easily end up 500 in that conference. The OBC Big South is not great. There is a very clear top and a very clear lower tier. And I think Tech could – very much slot into the middle of that group, or possibly into the top of the lower tier, if you like. They could they could end up 500. And, uh, I don't know, I don't know if you got this memo, but Michael Hires is pretty good. Uh, 375 yards, five scores, three seven five, five tutties. I will say he took some hits in the first quarter of that game. It's shorter. I, I tip my I tip my cap to him and said. We're not going to win this game by sitting back and playing zone and trying to recover their receivers. We need to get the ball out of Hires' hands quick, and we need to make him uncomfortable, and we need to hit him really, really hard as much as we can. And um, that definitely is not something I would want to see if I were Chris Hatcher. Uh, I would be looking to make some adjustments to see if I could avoid my quarterback getting the snot knocked out of him by – because if it's happening against Division Two, it's going to happen against Division One, and you got a Western Carolina team that, after being very frustrated up front against Arkansas last week, is going to be chomping at the bit to go at it in the trenches with you. So I would, uh, I would, I would very much like to see a little bit more in protection from Sanford. But they have the weapons. Hires is good. Their defense will be fine. Um, they capitalized on some against some miscues. Uh, I think they're a good football team overall. Yeah, and I'll be curious, uh, Western. And I know you know Cole Gonzalez hasn't came in um, 
just the one interception. Charlie Dean, oh. three of them. And yeah. I know there was a little bit of, like, who's going to be the guy. And, and uh, I mean, again, Arkansas saw Kerwin Bell may have to figure that out. All right, so, so I watched the first quarter of this game. I didn't see Dean get in. I watched the first quarter. And um, Gonzalez, I'll say this, Western Carolina's offensive line looked real good. They looked cohesive. They looked polished. They looked like a group that's played a lot of time together. I don't know if they have. I, I think they have. I think it's a pretty experienced unit. They looked very good. Arkansas could not get – Arkansas couldn't even put eyes on the quarterback with four rushers. They had to bring five to make Gonzalez uncomfortable. And Cole Gonzalez missed three straight wide-open receivers on successive drives. They went three and out in about 40 seconds because he just missed dudes. And um, the one that really uh, got my gourd, it, it grinded my gears, whatever you want to say, the one that really irked me was he had a receiver. The corner was playing off of him to the boundary in a very, very soft zone coverage. This guy was wide open down the seam for a 35-yard gain, and if he throws it on the on a on a line, he hits the guy in stride, and he might still be running. He throws it 10 yards over his head, a good six or seven over the corner's head, incomplete. There, I mean, the corner was not within five yards of the receiver. This guy, when I say he was wide open, he was wide open. And Gonzalez missed him completely, badly. And I was just like, ooh, oh no, that's not good. And so to, to hear that they brought Dean in and that Dean was also not very good doesn't give me a lot of confidence that Western is going to be a playoff team. But again, week one, got some stuff to clean up. I certainly think Western is a team that will ruin somebody's year. They will ruin somebody's season, and that team is probably Mercer's, given, well, Western's got to be able to complete some passes beyond the line of scrimmage before I can say that about Mercer, because Mercer's secondary, and I think part of it was just the, the coverages that they were being asked to play. Their secondary got humiliated against Ole Miss. And to be honest, uh, they pretty much said so much watching a bunch of pregame shows that Lane Kiffin was going to play three quarterbacks and try to throw as much as he could while three quarterbacks to see what they can do in the live situation. So they were uh, all, Jackson Dart was outstanding. They were already uh, kind of apologizing to Mercer on national TV for what Lane Kiffin was going openly said he was going to do to Mercer. And uh, that's why sometimes when you hear like, oh, my goodness, you're going to play Nick Saban in Alabama. And I'm like, that, that's actually good news because there are certain coaches that will try not to. Some coaches, when it gets to 35, they're like, all right, that's enough. And there's – or at least second half. Yeah. You know, even if you gave up 60, at least the second half's like, all right, we'll try to score points. But there are teams yeah. that are all about let's just get the numbers. Let's just Ole Miss was 28-7 in the, with three minutes left in the first quarter. No, five minutes left in the first quarter. There were five touchdowns scored in the first ten minutes of that game. There were two in the first six, 73 seconds because – Ole Miss scored in two plays, and then PV hit a 75-yard touchdown. I thought he looked pretty good running the ball. And certainly the guy, you can see why they would put him out there. He looks the part physically. Um, you know, 
pretty good athlete. I just, I, I don't know. I need to see more from the Bears. And yet, I think resume-wise, they might be the SoCon's best shot at the third team in the postseason. Uh, Devron Harper fumbled for the second consecutive game, by the way. That's a red flag to me. If, if ball security has become an issue for one of the most explosive players in the country, that's going to be a problem, and that's going to bite Mercer in the posterior at some point. they they got to clean that up. He did look good on his one punt return. He went 40 yards. He did. He did. But he also fumbled on the kickoff return that uh, gave Ole Miss the ball at the 20. And there was a couple teams that uh, – I, I, I just I just wouldn't like that. I <laughs> <laughs> Wofford got a 75-yard touchdown uh, late in the game to get on the board. Yeah, they did. And Citadel, Citadel. Yeah, uh, Wofford's defense battled. Um, Their offense was a nightmare. Uh, Their quarterback did not look good. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was that they started. Um, Oh, Rice. Um, Was it Corston? Corston, yeah. No, he he didn't look good. The whole offense looked bad. Um, And some of that is you're playing a power five. But at the same time, they just they just look disjointed, and the defense played its butt off. No, nobody's super extraordinary in that group, right? Uh, David Powers got a sack early, just a free runner right at Yurkovich, and um, you know he, he made a couple of explosive plays. The, a couple of their corners uh, came up to the line, and I thought made some pretty good plays. Javis Minat and um, uh, John uh, DiRoberto obviously racked up a ton of tackles, but. I thought they, they played really hard. It's just that when they got in short yardage situations, Pitt could stack the box and lean on them and get whatever they needed in that situation. So, uh, you know, again, not a super talented team. I don't think they're going to have a, a, a fruitful year in terms of wins and losses, but they are going to play hard. And it kind of like Western in an inverted sense because Western's defense was tough to gauge against Arkansas because those wide receivers are bigger and faster than anybody they're going to face in the ICC, and they were right on them. Um, there were a couple of guys, guys that dove for a receiver down the sideline for a touchdown on a little uh, quick hitter that turned into a big gain that um, it's like, well, yeah, that's going to happen against Arkansas. But I, I think Wofford is a team that is going to be tough to play against. They're going to be really, really annoying to try to play against because their defense is going to play with a lot of effort, and they are not going to let you walk over. And Citadel was bad. I don't know. I, I tried to watch a little bit of that just, just because. And then Maurice set off. the bar. He set the bar. He said, we're not a very good football team. And, well, <laughs> uh, I watched, I think, the first two series of that offense. And that shotgun option look, that's going to take a while. That's going to take a long while. I, I, I guess we got to pour one out for the triple option, don't we? Because the cut blocking rules last year changed what you can do farther down the field. It eliminated the explosive ability of the triple. I I think that might be the end of the triple option. As we have known it, certainly as we have known it, it is the end of the triple option. I mean, Army went to the shotgun for the same reason. They had trouble last year. So Army's gone to the shotgun. Air Force has always been elements of it. But they're obviously more of a – they can throw the ball and has over time. Navy's went to the shotgun as well, and I'm trying to think. Citadel's now shotgun. I mean, Carson Newman's been the split rear forever. They've gone shotgun, and we'll see that this weekend coming up. So a majority of, 
option type teams, and, and granted, uh, cartoon more of a split beer, but still, um, I, I think it is more than crippling um, what they were allowed to do down the field. You can still cut like right at the line, but the big thing is with those B-backs getting out, is just trying to basically roll at the ankles. It's really, for the most part, for those teams, I don't think it's dangerous because the way they teach it now, teams that don't normally do that, that were cut blocking down the field, there are probably more injuries in that than there were with the academies doing Yeah. That. But because the whole point is you just get down and roll just so, uh, I wish Matt was here to explain this better, but basically you just try to roll at them so that they get their eyes down and their hands down to knock them off, and by that time, somebody's by you. Right. So that's sort of the deal. Yes, it, it, it's definitely the rule change last year crippled a bunch of them, so they're all trying to figure out how to do it. But I watched, you know, multiple teams that normally would be under center triple, and occasionally they will get back under center. But for the most part, almost every one of those option teams have not gotten out of the shotgun, which is what Wofford tried to do a few years ago uh, with uh, Coach Conklin. They were trying to get out of that. They were still running some option elements out of the shotgun before the Citadel. They've just got a lot more questions to be asked. I, I think that that's there is a way for that scheme, that system to evolve, and nobody has found it yet. And I don't know what it is. If it's just getting, you know, glorified tight ends to play wide receiver for you that can get out and just block people straight up, I don't know what it is. But at some point, somebody has to be able to find a way to make the option work again because – you're not going to be able to recruit all the biggest, fastest guys at places like the Citadel. And if that rule ends up destroying something that makes college football really unique and vibrant, which is the, the diversity of offensive schemes, then, to be completely frank, that makes me less inclined to just pull up a random college football game. I don't want to watch every single team play the same mediocre you know, 11 personnel or 10 personnel shotgun offense that I see on Sunday when the Cleveland Browns crap their pants every week. Like, I don't want to see that in college because it's just the same thing but worse. I don't, I don't need that. I don't need that in my life. And I just – it makes me less enthusiastic about the game when I can't – if something robs us of true diversity of scheme. And even if I understand why it happens – and I understand why people view it as necessary. That doesn't mean I have to like it. And I don't. So, that was for you, Kevin Marshall. <laughs> uh, you ready to talk Chattanooga? Uh, let's. Let's. Uh, let's. I mean, by the time I got in the van to head home, it was already basically 14 nothing. By the time we were mm-hmm. out of no man's land of Alabama to civilization to get internet back on uh, Robert. Yeah, Robert. I didn't know how far along you were or if you were driving or what. Um, so I, I just, I would, I would send you the occasional text. I figured you'd get it on the, because you guys took the buck then, right? We did take the buck. Yeah, so you get it on the screen. Just be like, hey, here's, you have a text message. Here's what it says. Yeah, and uh, Kimbrough, who did not play against uh, Mercer, yes, the wide receiver, had himself the first half. Really the first, what was that, 16 minutes? One minute in the second quarter, he had his third touchdown reception already. So, yeah, it was it was twenty one nothing. And again, I think this is where a team that played the week before kind of had an advantage. Then all of a sudden, Chattanooga kept creeping back into it. 
Artopius to Sam Phillips for a touchdown. Field goal. Then it was Artopius to Chris Houston for a touchdown. And the field goal. Then Geno Appleberry able to score. And all of a sudden it was 27-21. You know, I think after the first play of the fourth quarter, and it's like, here, you know, Chad kind of figured it back out. But uh, UNA. He had another catch down the sideline yep. um, uh, that was able to, to set up a 10-yard touchdown run, and then they missed the extra point. And of all things, it was like, heck, it's 27-27. And then, again, the defense for UNA made uh, a couple nice plays on Artopius. They were able to get the ball back. They were able to yep. go down the field on a five-play short field touchdown. And then the capper, Jalen Daniels, 81 yards to the house whenever he was trying to run out clock. Ends up being 41-27. My one, um, you know, I hate to gripe, especially when chat loses, but uh, I, I was just very confused. And I get early when it was 21 nothing that they needed to throw the football, so I understand that Artopius threw 46 passes and there were 42 runs. But once they got the lead, they were still kind of chunking the ball down the field. And I'm thinking you've got Alain Ford, you've got Geno Appleberry, you've got to lean on those guys to wear down the UNA defense, and they really did not do that. Ford got 24 carries for, for 90 yards, which is right at four yards a carry. Uh, Appleberry 11 for 48, so that's success on the ground. Artopius proved he can kind of move around in the pocket a little bit, kind of found his groove there, um, middle to late second quarter into the third quarter. Really had a big third quarter, but still I, I kind of questioned, you know, at some point when they – not just got back into it, but when they got the lead, why they weren't leaning more on the run game. And again, I get that like it's going to be skewed more passing than running just because they were down 21 nothing. That would be my only complaint. And then just kind of wowzers on the back end for chat, which I didn't have a whole lot of questions going into that game and had yeah. a lot of questions coming out of that game. Cameron Brown got cooked. I mean, he was like deep-fried and finely seasoned by uh, Takari Kennebrew. I, I was floored. I Like, this is a, this is the All-American corner. Like, this is the number one defensive back in the conference. And he got – when I watched him just completely whiff on the post route that Kennebrew got for his third touchdown, I was like, uh-oh. Hell, what, what is this? What is going on with Chattanooga's defense? I thought their defensive line – Looked okay. I, well, I mean, I, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't dazzle, but they they looked okay. Well, think about this. U, UNA had 248 total yards yeah. um, against Mercer, and they went for 517 against Chad. Yeah, and p- part of that to me is, you know, I I hammered UNA. I'm not. I, I can't call them Tuna anymore. They have a big win under their belt now. Uh, they're UNA now. Um, I hammered UNA last week for rotating quarterbacks every three to four plays. How do you expect a guy to separate if you're going to do that? Pick one, give him a shan- or give him a shot, and let him win or lose the job. And they went with Noah Walters. He threw 28 of their 29 passes. T.J. Smith played like three snaps, and Walters lit them up. And their offense was better. Because they picked a guy and they went with him. They committed to one player. I, I was very pleased that that decision was made. And I think 
that that decision is a big part of why they had a lot more offensive success. And not just Kennebrew. Kennebrew is an awesome, explosive playmaking receiver, and he's going to make that team better. And I'm very intrigued to see how they go with Tarleton State, a team that played a very high-scoring, wide-open game with McNeese down in Lake Charles last week. That will be a fun one on Saturday night. But they made decisions on things that they were indecisive about against Mercer. And I think if they just let Walters go out there and, and throw it a little bit and let him stay out there instead of going back and forth over and over in, in at Crampton Bowl, they might have beaten Mercer. This North Alabama team might be decent. Um, we can't know that for a fact until we see them in a, a conference game, which they're going to play against Tarleton. Uh, they play at Tennessee Tech. History is any indication, and, and if you converge history and recent trends, you should probably win that game. UT Martin at home, you should probably win that game at Brawley. Then you get some. Then you get the games where we're really going to get a sense of how good this team is. I mean, if they end up, you know, eight and three, then maybe this loss doesn't look that bad for Chattanooga. But if if they look like North Alabama and has historically looked, and they're like four and seven, five and six. And this is a really this is a catastrophic loss for Chattanooga, and the Mocs are now under the gun to try to get themselves back in the playoff bubble conversation because this is a game that will be held against you at the end of the year, more than likely. We'll see, but this is more than likely a game that gets held against the Mocs at the end of the year, and you are already under pressure to try to get this done, knowing full well that your last two weeks mean nothing in the playoff picture. Chattanooga's last two weeks are the bye week and at Alabama. You have, what is it now, Uh, nine straight weeks to get out from under a 14-point road loss to a team that historically has not been particularly good against SoCon opposition. And we're going to break down the SoCon schedule Thursday, but just a quick look ahead. Like, they, they got Kennesaw State at home, which is making the move up, which is going to have a few more Scallies yeah. on the roster. Yeah, Kennesaw's weird because they're only playing nine games this year. They're playing three non-D1 opponents. They just could not get – it seems like everybody just kind of said, you know what, happy trails, Kennesaw. We're not helping you out. Um, that I thought that was interesting and kind of funny. Um, it's like, oh, there's no room at the end for us to get Kennesaw on the schedule. Kennesaw State struggled in the first half with Tuscaloosa. They struggled. They got it together, and they figured it out. Christina Aguilera. But uh, they needed a lot of time to figure it out against what is probably going to be like the fifth or sixth best team in the sack. They could be a little better, but I mean, that wasn't a, an encouraging showing by any stretch of the imagination. So Chattanooga needs to go out and just stomp them and get themselves back on track. And then you go out and you beat the Citadel. It's like, okay, we're 2-1. and one. We're going into Sanford. We should be – we, we kind of got it back on an even footing. Um, but you probably got to beat one of Sanford or Furman to make the playoffs now. And we're going to talk about Chattanooga. Kennesaw State a little more on Thursday. we got Adam Cavalier, who's the voice of the Carson Newman Eagles. He's going to join us on Thursday. We'll break down that as well. 
break down ETSU versus Carson Newman. We'll get Carson Newman's side. We'll give you our thoughts on ETSU. We'll do pick six, and we'll take a look around the league and give some thoughts as there's just one conference game we'll focus in on, which is Western Carolina and Sanford. Yes, that's a big one. And I think Western will be an interesting, but ultimately uh, they're going to be pissed. They're going to be on the. They're gonna, I think they're going to be on the wrong side of that one. And just my initial gut feeling is, and eh, I don't know. I think Sanford, I think Sanford's going to win that one and be fine. But we'll see. It's in Halloween. It's in the place where Western Carolina plays its games. All right, be back Thursday. Another edition of Jane Key Buccaneer Sports Network. Everyone's going to Halloween. Oh, you got to be kidding me!